You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Well, look who's back. You. You are. You're back. Okay, I'm here this time. Sorry. Yeah. That's That was your <laughs> cue to say something. I'm not sure if you caught that. It was subtle. I, I was doing that thing from, from last time when I wasn't here. I, I was, you know, pick left, go right. I'm yeah. here, everyone. Yeah. All right. Now, as you're aware, we did have Richard Garriott on the show. And, um, you know, funny enough, you actually did some homework and you played a bit of Ultima 7 to prepare for that, only to not show up. Um, but, I mean, that was a good effort you put in. You, you told me some stuff that you could only know if you actually played Ultima 7 as opposed to, um, you know, just kind of watching a walkthrough or something like that, um, which is something that I would totally do. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so why waste some research? What do you think of Ultima 7? I I bloody liked it. I I I didn't expect to. If you if anyone out there is catching like a slight raise in the voice there, I I I don't know why I ref, like always have refused to play these types of games. Uh, basically, anything that's like top down, isometric uh, RPG. Um, I don't. I, I'm a, I fear anything with acronyms in it because it's immediately confusing. <laughs> I, I, in other words, I never had a reason to actually not play it or actually not like it. I just I don't know. I, I, as everyone listening knows, I love adventure games, and there's always just enough of them to play that I guess I never had to go out my comfort zone. But but I know this game meant a lot to you, and and you know we were supposed to do the interview together. Which by the way, I'm glad we didn't because you held that together just beautifully, so professionally. I definitely would have mucked it up. Um, well, that's kind I of the point, though. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I but Richard is such a respectable man. I, I, I don't. I'm not sure my take would have been welcome on it. I, I will say, after listening to that interview, uh, I went into like a minor depression because that man has done so much with his life and so many impressive things, like like you know, going to space and, and the Titanic and talking about Secret Service in a, in his home, like. You know, bloody save some for the rest of us, mate. Like, I, I felt good about myself until I heard what he's done with his life. <laughs> I, I noticed I didn't even bring up Ultima, like, creating that uh, doesn't even need to be brought up with everything he's achieved. So, yeah. anyway, mint, mint job on that, mate. That was that was fascinating. But yeah, I, I definitely have homework. to say that was a really difficult interview for me to try to stay focused and not talk about stuff that weren't uh, video game related or, or to talk about stuff like um, that he generally hasn't really talked about in other interviews, at least as far as I knew. So, you know, I really had to limit down how much I was able to talk about him. But like, honestly, I could have talked to him for like days on end if I really <laughs> wanted to. Because, you know, there's, or, there's so much I really wanted to talk to him like, throughout my entire life. I'm glad I finally got to uh, get some of those questions out there. But uh, even just limiting it to um, an hour and a half, I think it eventually came out too. It was actually only supposed to be an hour. Um, that's what we agreed to. That's what he, you know, his his time, as you can tell, is very valuable. He said, like, I, I can give you an hour uh, between these times. And um, so, you know, the way things work with us, you know, we have to, I have to start the session to give him a link to the, um, uh, to the recording program that we use. And uh, j just for the sake of safety, I sent it to him like half an hour early to say, like, yeah, hey, I know we're only supposed to be at this time. Uh, but you know, whenever you're ready, just come on. And he like came on like instantly. So we had like an extra half hour that I was able to talk to him. And even then I still kind of felt like, okay, I really got to keep, um, keep it down. How much, uh, how much I ask about him. Cause you know, I, again, I, he's, 
generous enough to have even offered us an hour. He was so generous to give us uh, an extra 30 minutes on top of that. Uh, it would have, I, I still could have talked to him for hours thereafter if I really wanted to. Yeah, it was funny too, because a lot of people, especially, you know, of a certain uh, degree, you know, kind of like my time is valuable, this and that. And, and sometimes you wonder like, hmm, like, is it like, what do you got going on? But with a man like that, he's like, last week I had the secret bloody service over and, <laughs> and you know, it left us with the mystery of why, who was there that they were protecting. It's like, you get the vibe, his time is truly that valuable. Yeah. Um, so that that was really, really quite nice of him. And no, it was fascinating. I'm, I'm actually really curious to read his book at this point because besides Ultima, which I, I now just discovered I like, um, really kind of curious and fascinated about his life. It will be interesting, too, to see as you play other Ultima games, because each one is so distinct from one another. Um, so as, as I've mentioned, and you probably heard me say, Ultima 7 was such a huge step forward from 6. And 6 was even a pretty big step up from 5, etc., uh, etc. Et so um, I, it's going to be tough, because just because you like Ultima 7 um, now because that's like the first one you played. And I'm glad you did because, you know, I wasn't really sure how it uh, how it aged for somebody who hasn't played it before. But Ultima 6 is one where it's sort of like, well, can you go back to that one now? Now that you've started here, can you take that much of a step backward? And you know, I don't mean to say that in, in a negative way, like Ultima 6 was such a step backwards uh, because I love that game. It's one of my favorites. But Ultima 7 was just such a huge leap in progress from there that I wonder what it's like for you to uh, start with seven and then like go that far uh, backwards in technology. Yeah. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll have to find out if not for that purpose alone. Um, you know, the, the, obviously there's plenty of Ultima seven for me to still enjoy. You know, it's, it seems like it, that's a game that can be played for, for uh, you know, a hundred hours if you want to. So I, I definitely, it's not, not like I'm going to need more Ultima with, with how much seven gives you, but I think I'd be <laughs> curious to, to go back to six just to kind of answer that question. Cause I, I can relate. And obviously, you know, uh, subject matter in hand, I, I'm at an advantage liking, you know, older games, but I can say that I'd, I'd be nervous if somebody played, I don't know, Space Quest 4, and I was like, okay, well, you know, go, go check out Space Quest 1, or, or even 3 with the, with the text parser. You know, I'd kind of be like, hmm, can, can you go from, you know, that, that point and click to a text parser and still like it? I think you can. But anyway, with that example in mind, I, I feel like I would like it because i you know, used to stepping back and still enjoying it with this whole thing. I mean, and, you know, one of the things, too, is uh, Ultima 6, I think, has a lot less intuitive of an interface compared to Ultima 7. I remember not really having too much of a problem with it, but it is a bit clunky. Uh, I do kind of admit that. And, um, you know, back in the day, I don't think I even really read the manual back then. I think, um, or, or maybe I just read like the reference guide just to see what keys do what. Um, but Ultima 7, um, I'll ask you this, even though I'm pretty sure I already know the answer. How easy was Ultima 7 to just like pick up and play? Oh, remarkably. I, I, I didn't, I don't think I've thought about it until you just said that because it was, <laughs> yeah, like, it, which is a good thing because if it was difficult, yeah, I, I, you know, have a knee jerk reaction. But yeah, no, it's, and that's one of the, we can get more into it as we go, but one of the aspects that I loved about it was, was how familiar it felt to me being an adventure game fan. I, I didn't expect it to be so much of an adventure game as well. I, I didn't, mm -hmm. honestly, I know it sounds terribly 
naive, but I didn't think I could just like walk around a village and, and talk to people and poke in different buildings. I, I, I don't know what I really thought. Um, and I'm sure that sounds, you know, extremely daft to, to people, you know, who love this game or RPGs to begin with to hear me say that. Again, I don't know what I expected, but, but I was charmed by how, how much of an adventure game was, was hiding underneath of it. So that being said, yeah, really intuitive. Yeah. And see, you know, my theory behind that actually is that, um, it came out in 1992, if I recall correctly. Um, if not 92, then 93, but I'm pretty sure it was 92. So, um, as you can, you know, tell by math and numbers, <laughs> this predates when Windows 95 was a thing. Um, you know, we're still a few years away from that uh, when <laughs> Windows became sort of like a, a base, like core operating system. Before this, we had uh, Windows 3 uh, and 3.1 and 3.11 which are, I don't even really know the difference between them all, but um, I don't know if you remember back in those days when you had DOS and you had Windows, like, over top of DOS. Right. <laughs> it was, um, you know, Windows, there were programs that were made specifically for Windows, so they would only run if you had Windows, but basically uh, you had DOS, you would boot up the computer to the command prompt, and then you have to type in Win to load up Windows. It was like the graphical interface was such an option if you so wanted one but underneath it was still dos so why i guess what i'm basically getting at is that we there was a familiarity with how a point and click interface at its most basic level kind of really works because we did still have windows at the time that uh, ultima came out so we knew a lot of principles like drag and drop double click uh single click uh you know we knew Basically, that that was already kind of ingrained in us. If you're going to be playing a game like Ultima 7, then you definitely would have um, been uh, playing around with Windows, if not a Mac. The you know, Mac was uh, before that uh, with a very similar functions. And the more I think about it, when I was thinking about like uh, talking points for this episode, I was sort of thinking about like, well, you know, that's kind of a lot of what the you know, I'm not sure if it was deliberate or not, but that's definitely kind of the principles that fuel the uh, the user interface in Ultima 7. It's, you know, you single-click once to see what something is, double-click it to use it. Um, when you double-click it, if it's something that is, um, uh, that you then proceed to use it upon something else, it'll turn into crosshairs. So, you know, that's a pretty, um, you know, that's a pretty good cue as to what's going on. So it's very intuitive and second nature to us, uh, just in how easy we can predict uh, what will do what. I think the only thing that might take a little bit is, um, you know, how to walk in which, you know, uh, you point the arrow in the direction that you want to go and then you hold the right mouse button, which is easy enough because you're using a mouse and there's only two buttons to dabble with. So what's it going to be? Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I really think that that's sort of, you know, comparing that to Ultima 6, where it's like this whole big thing where you got to figure things out, um, you know, what the keys are if you want to use a mouse, because, you know, they kind of had to really make it uh, playable on a keyboard because they couldn't guarantee that everyone playing it had a mouse when Ultima 6 came out. Uh, but they kind of wanted a mouse interface option, so it was kind of like a hybrid of both, but, you know, both are very playable one or the other, but neither of which are particularly comfortable. Yeah. And that's such a good point too. I, I, even I forget having grown up in that time, uh, you know, the mouse drivers just w were not standard. <laughs> it was, it was that, you know, nowadays, you know, I, I think, you know, someone have like a bloody heart attack if they fired up, you know, windows 10 and, and 
the, you know, the mouse just didn't just naturally work. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great point. Like you said, it, it's, I think it gave us all, you know, when I say us all people that, that grew up around this sort of thing, gave us all kind of a, a bit of a heads up. Um, and, and I think it fuels our enjoyment to this day that, that we had to really kind of get a little bit dirty to figure out how to get games to play, you know, using command line prompts and things like that. I, um, I personally started out uh, because you know it's what my father had. It's what was in the house was was Macintosh, um, like System Six, System Seven, etc. Um, uh, but we uh, qu- kind of quickly moved on to, to a DOS Windows machine because because my my dad was right into Microsoft Flight Simulator. Once Microsoft bought that property, we, we, all of a sudden the Macs were gone and the IBMs were in. What I'm getting at though is I had a mate that, that used to play games with all the time, and I used to kind of talk a little shit like you know you know Macintosh had the GUI it was so much easier, and he's like, well now we got Windows you know 3.1 and this and that. So I was like, all right, mate, fire it up, and and he had to go through the command prompt, and I'm like, that's what I'm bloody talking about, you know, it's arcane. <laughs> And, uh, and so I went back like a week later and he had figured out how to open up the config file to where, you know, when he, he launched DOS, it, it would automatically send him right into Windows. Yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry, that was kind of off topic, but it just, just sent oh, me no, down no. memory I mean, lane. It's actually not that entirely off topic because one of the things that always has to get mentioned when we talk about Ultima 7 was, in fact, how hard it was to get it to run on systems at the time. Um, because I remember even having a fairly... Uh, I wouldn't say top the line just because, you know, the 90s was the era in which, um, you know, the running joke was by the time you get the computer up to the counter to pay for it, it's already obsolete. Um, You know, technology was moving. This is the epitome of that. Yeah. Yeah. The technology was moving that fast back then where the joke was, you know, you you can never buy a top of the line machine because it'll always be obsolete by the time you get it home. Um, But, you know, I had a reasonable machine like you know there's uh the computer we had at the time was purchased to take care of us for a little while so there wasn't anything you know there wasn't really a whole lot that it couldn't play that was current to when we bought it and this is probably like around 91 or no it was it would have been 92 because i think i played ultima 7 in like 93 so like you know a year after it came out or something like that yeah so you know it was a respectable machine and there wasn't really any reason why it couldn't run it if you look at the system requirements on the box um there you know i i surpassed everything that was required to play the game but even still it required so much um of this other memory like expanded memory or extended memory i forget exactly which one but there's like different kinds of memory yeah there's like different kinds of memory back then that you had to free up and this used like one of those specific kinds of memory that was like generally in use by the system so you had to like um everyone had to run the game off a boot disk so they there was like an actual program um, that came with the game to create a boot disk so that you would use that instead of just booting off the hard drive, you would stick in the floppy, uh, load it off your A drive, and that will give you the resources that you need in order to play the game. Right, right. Well, and right around the, when when this game came out, it's it was close enough to the, the transition between like 386 and 486 computers. So, so that, that must have been tough on a lot of people. Like if you... I, I'm not sure, but it, I'm kind of thinking this: the Ultima Seven probably maybe wouldn't have run or wouldn't have run well enough on a 386 to where you know you'd have to probably go out and get like a new CPU about it. Yeah, I would. I would say like it would, it would definitely be um, it would definitely be chugging along if you were to play it on a 386. As far as I would know, uh, it, you know, it played pretty well on a 486. I would say um, if you played on a modern machine, it would definitely it definitely moves a lot swifter. Than it was than it did on the 486, uh, or at least my 486. 
So I think once you get into like the Pentium era, that's kind of where the speed caps out. That's kind of where it plays out if you play it today. Because um, back in the day when I played it on the 46, it, it took a it took a fair amount of time to get from place to place, like from town to town. Uh, that's one of the cool things about Ultima 7, um, or even a lot of the Ultimas generally. Like I, I played Ultima 6 before it. It was the same sort of deal because computers were generally a little bit slower back then. It took a little bit of time to get from here to there. Uh, so... You know, I it was kind of cool because you had to plan around that. You had to plan around that. Okay, what kind of stuff do I need to do here? Okay, right. now I need to go over there. So if I leave here, I have to make sure that I'm prepared to make this journey because it'll be a while <laughs> before I get back here. And then you go over there and you kind of do whatever you need to do. And when you f- figure out where to go from there, you're like, okay, well, got to make sure I've done everything I need to do here before I leave. Because it'll be a while before I come back here. <laughs> it's, but, it's like running actual errands, you know, yeah. <laughs> real life errands. Let's go to the farthest point first and work your way back so you don't backtrack. And <laughs> Yeah, but now it's like, um, you know, you, you play them on modern machines now and it takes you like 10 seconds to get from town to town just because, you know, we're that much faster now. Um which also, sorry, I I have, can't go an episode, I suppose, without making fun of Kathy Rain. But that's kind of one of the things that uh, Kathy <laughs> Rain <laughs> really bothered me, just having to go back and forth. It's like, you know, oh, well, now you did this here. Now you got to go back over here. You got oh, Now you got to go talk to everybody again. Now you got to go back. But, um, you know, back in the day of, you know, Ultima 7, you kind of... Uh, you probably still had to do that, but it just, it, it kind of really felt like there was this onus on you to like get done what you need to do here. Cause it's going to be a while before you get back. Right. Uh, you know, like, Qu- Quest for Glory 3 had that exact same feeling for me where it's like, okay, I'm in Tarna. I got to make sure I'm stocked up on everything I'm going to need from Tarna before I go to the Sambani village. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's I, I, by the way, I don't know if I loathe or respect you for making me also hate Kathy rain at this point, but <laughs> something to be said for that it's not to be hated it's not to be hated it's just there's people make it out to be perfect and it's not perfect i just i you know when you when you overrate something like rick and morty um you know it's it's hard not to see the flaws Um, got him yeah nice well done (laughs) we'll we'll put our text history on patreon i guess (laughs) for that reference (laughs) We'll, we'll talk about Rick and Morty one of these days because we had a pretty interesting conversation about it uh, previous to this episode recording. <laughs> we gave a lot of opinions, all of which were correct. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good show. It is. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that, uh, you know, and nowadays they kind of make up for that. Like I, I played uh, Skyrim for like about an hour last night and, um, you know, the world is just that huge now that it does take that amount of time. So it is kind of, uh, um, you know, you do kind of get that sense of, okay, well I got to go to this town now, but then they throw in fast travel and that kind of undoes that all. Yeah. Cause it's sort of like, okay, well now I can just hop from town to town and not care because if I miss something here, I could just fast travel back there. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I regret that they've invented fast travel because, you know, <laughs> when you have to, like, travel half an hour across the map, there is a coolness to that. But there is something lost when you hit 40 like I do. But yeah, one of the things I always explain every time I bring up Ultima, I think I've brought it up, like, a few times now. Uh, and I always have to mention that just the the sheer scope, uh, just the sheer magnitude of the jump between Ultima 6 and Ultima 7 was just mind-blowing. Like... Ultima 6, 
if you ever try to play it, it like you know the actual game screen where you see like your character on the map is like maybe a third of the screen or something like that, and the rest is all like this big, or maybe like maybe like half. I'll be generous and say it was probably just under half of the screen. But it was just like one little section of the screen where everything takes place, and like the rest is like your inventory and stuff like that. So just even loading Ultima 7 and not even seeing a screenshot beforehand to prepare me and just immediately it's like this whole full screen like um you know very detailed characters um comparatively to that time still I would say it's pretty detailed um this is actually the first game that I can think of where items as you see them on the uh, world screen are proportional so like a dagger is smaller than a sword and a sword is smaller than a halberd Right, and, you know, right. Everything is pretty much to scale uh, when you see them on the world screen. Um, you know, the bags and the inventory, they don't go by slots. They just go by how much they can fit. So, you know, there's no grid in any of the bag. It's just that a bag can't hold as much as a backpack, which can't hold as much as a chest, which can't hold as much as a barrel. But it's all just sort of like this internal number crunching. You don't actually see, like, oh, well, the dagger takes a square. And so does a sword or something like that, right? Where it's like, oh, a key takes the same amount of space in a backpack as uh, as a sword does, like some of those games. But um, yeah, just- well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I, I didn't really appreciate that when I was playing the game until you say it now because it reminds me of like you know Nintendo or NES games where, where an item is always just you know that token sprite size, however you know. However large the square is, they could make for any given sprite. Every item looks the same, so it was it was really cool. Like you said, that everything was was to scale, and then that it also affects the gameplay as to what you can carry. So I'm glad you brought it up because I, I don't think I stopped to appreciate that. Yeah, I, you know, and it's funny too because I don't think very many games have really done this since either. Like I, I think that a lot of uh, games still go by like grid systems. I think for their inventory, uh, I, I think that a lot of them do kind of go with like <laughs> sort of disproportionate sizing of items. Um, you know, the, the downside to this is that, um, things were so easy to get lost. Now, uh, they, they've, a lot of people take this for granted because a lot of people play it on Exalt these days, which is sort of like a, uh, uh, an engine that you use on modern machines to play Ultima 7 and Serpentile that kind of, uh, modernizes it as well with certain quality of life improvements. So basically a lot of, um, a lot of features that weren't available until the expansion pack of Ultima 7 Part 2 were patched into Ultima 7 Part 1, which is like, um, if you, as long as you have the key in your inventory, you can press the K button to use whatever keys you have on a door. So if you have a key and you'll have like 15 keys at one point <laughs> and you come across a locked door, you press K, click on the door and if you happen to have the key that unlocks it, it'll unlock. As opposed to the very first state of Ultima 7, in which you actually have to go through and find the key that unlocks that door. So I played it on Exalt, so I don't have, you know, uh, a point of reference, I guess, for, for the original. So I wasn't really sure what it was doing for me, uh, other than being told it was, you know, doing good. But but that actually does make me feel almost better about using Exalt, because I, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've, I've missed anything. Like, it sounds like just the right degree of, of, en- of enhancement, you know. It's like, a, I, didn't, I didn't really miss out on any, like, true gritty experience. Um, and definitely, like you said, gave, gave a bit more quality of life to the gameplay. The inventory system is I believe if you load it through Exalt, it defaults to a paper doll 
uh, inventory screen, which was um, first implemented in Ultima 7 Part 2, in which every character model has a different face, but one of two gen- uh, stock generic bodies. Um, and each time you add a piece of armor to that body, uh, you s- see that body wearing that armor. Or if you give it a weapon, you'll see that uh, character holding that weapon. Right. Um, initially, in the very first incarnation of Ultima 7, which is like Ultima 7 in any form other than playing through Exalt, it's actually, you actually see character portraits that are actually very well drawn out and just like, you know, um, an arrow pointing to your body part or your hand or something where the item will be. So you just see like, oh, in your hand is this sword, uh, pointing to your head is this helmet and that sort of thing. Whereas in Ultima 7 Part 2, they had the thing where you actually, it actually shows your character physically wearing or wielding whatever um, they have equipped. The reason why I bring this up is because, um, as you probably have discovered by now, one of the first characters to join your party is a little boy named Spark, who is not an adult. He is a young child, like about 10 years old or something like that. I think they say like he's 10 or maybe 14 at most. So, um, the thing with the paper doll system is that they everyone has the exact same body, just it's either male or female, and uh, I, I think maybe the skin tone change possibly changes. But since you know Spark is a child, but they don't have a child's body, they actually just put Spark's head on the body of a full-grown and very <laughs> muscularly ripped man. So, on, in the game screen, you see this like little, uh, you know, like I said, he's supposed to be like anywhere from ten to fourteen. I can't remember exactly right now, uh, but you know, he's depicted as a small child on the game screen, on the world uh, screen, I should say. But then, as soon as you bring him up in inventory, he's like this big, like six foot, like beefcake guy with like these massive tree trunk legs and like <laughs> just like. Um, it, yeah, it's just kind of really jarring because they didn't really factor in that, like, oh, maybe not everyone is a full-grown person at this point, including one of the main characters of the game. I I thought at some point I thought that was going to lead back to how you uh, liquored up Spike. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry, not Spike. Um, Spark. Spark. There we go. Um, well, I didn't liquor him up. I mean, actually, wait, no, I pr- totally did, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> one of the funny things is like, like you uh, like you said before, if you double click an item uh, if that item can be used on something else it'll turn into a crosshairs right and a lot of times it's very straightforward so if you click on a potion and it turns into crosshairs to who you want to give the potion to if you click on food you click on who you want to eat it if you click on um, I don't know like um, if you click on a bucket of water uh you can click on uh, you. You can click it on uh, a little wad of flour to turn it into dough, and that sort of thing. But you know, with that in mind, uh, you can actually take the uh, uh, you know the first scene. For those of you who aren't aware, the very first scene, you walk into this uh, stables and find um, this horribly severed bo- corpse. Right, all all his limbs are severed from the body and all that sort of thing. It's like this ritualistic murder, very graphic. Like that's like the most graphic thing I've seen in a video game uh, up to that point by far. 
Oh God, yeah. For the time that that really stuck out as me because I, I hadn't that hadn't been spoiled for me in in any regard. So so when I saw that, first of all, it was a great way to start the game because it really <laughs> yeah. got me really got me hooked. I was like, all right, you know, I can get down with this. But I can't I can't remember a game from that that era having something quite that graphic. You know, I was. I was thinking it was close, maybe to like Gabriel Knight, but I think that was a couple of years later. And either way, that was that was something. And then the the pitchfork through the the body up up against the wall, it was it was kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. And um, but and as you know, that the the victim is the father of Spark. And one of the items that you find in the crime scene is a bucket full of um, uh, Christopher's blood. So the the blood of the father of Spark. So naturally. When I found Spark, I, um, you know, saved the game just to see what will happen. I don't think it would ruin the game anyways, but, you know, that's a sort of, you know, every time you want to get a little bit adventurous, you save a game. Um, yeah, that's what Sierra taught you. Yeah, exactly. So I double-clicked on the on the bucket of blood, and sure enough, it turned into crosshairs. And then I clicked it on Spark, and um, I and he, like, starts, he runs away screaming, which is an entirely appropriate response to this but at the same time because you know it, it was still as detailed as it was for the, its time there are still some details that go missing because I had to imagine to myself okay so what did I just do here did I force feed Spark with his father's blood or did I just dump it all over him I, either way I can imagine him having that response but I just you know I couldn't decide what I actually did with that bucket of blood <laughs> Of his father. Yeah, and is, is either one worse than the other at that point? It's almost <laughs> almost bloody hard to tell. <laughs> uh, it was um, I, I one of the things I spoke with uh, Richard Garriott about, as I'm sure you probably heard by now, was the um, he kind of he always finds a way since Ultima Four or so. He always finds a way to include some sort of violence against children into a lot of his games. Uh, he, he's tried for almost all for all of them, I believe. And um, funny enough, every time I mentioned this to somebody, a lot of people didn't actually realize this part. But there's actually parts in the game where you like you come across babies in cribs, and uh, if you find a baby out of its crib, you can double click on it, click on the crib, and you'll set him in the crib. And then if you double click on the crib, you'll you'll rock it back and forth a little bit. So I, you know started doing this just uh you know playing around with it and uh it turns out that if you double click it too fast like if you keep rapidly double clicking it so you kind of like uh, uh interrupt it instead of just letting it rock so you just keep like you know, basically you're telling it to um to to violently shake the crib and you'll dump the baby out of it and you'll start crying oh that's awesome <laughs> so i mean well, i think what's what's kind of nice about not nice i'm using all the wrong descriptive <laughs> words right now damn it <laughs> what's fun about that what's a good time is, is that you you know it doesn't have to be intentional to be like look look what you've done <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't at and, first and until you... i found that out then it was very intentional every time i did it since yeah <laughs> So we know the answer to if you could go back in time and meet baby Hitler, what you do, yeah. depending on how you react to, to that part of the game. Um, <laughs> then that one thing I'm pretty sure I've tried at one point, but I can't remember what the result is. I'm not sure if you're actually able to attack the, the babies. I know you can attack children. There's nothing that prevents you from attacking children and killing them. Um, if you so desire, but they never really give you any reason to quite like uh, previous games, but the babies, I can't remember if you can, I almost feel like you can, 
Um, because they just, it's a game where it's sort of like, he doesn't want you to do this stuff, but he won't stop you if you do try. Right. Well, it, it brings me great comfort that you can't definitively say that. I mean, it's yeah. nice to know that, I guess that's where the line is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, and now, now that you, 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 you mentioned it with the, the harm to children, uh, signature move of his, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure he'd appreciate me putting it that way, but there, oh, he uh, there is, he there, totally would. There is a baby sacrifice in this game as well, isn't there? There is, yes. Um, it's part of the expansion pack. So if you do the missions in the expansion pack, you come to a part where you um, uh, you have to fight this one magician. Once you get to a screen, you find that you arrived just moments too late of him sacrificing a child um, to, for, to, <laughs> to uh, whatever demon or something, dragon. I forget exactly the detail, but you know, ritual sacrifice of a child. And sort of like, okay, that was entirely unnecessary, but okay. Say what you will about the man, but you've got to respect that level of commitment. I, I really appreciate it. That's what I was saying. That's what I said to him. So <laughs> I, that's what I said. I mean, I'm a big fan of how much he stuck to his guns on this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Now, hearing you reword it, I, I can remember that exact point in the interview now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, they, they told him not to do it, and they only encouraged him to do it more. It's like... uh it's like telling George Lucas, don't make Greedo shoot first, and he throws in McClunky. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was poetic. Yeah, nice. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm I'm hogging a lot of this time for the context, but let's hear more about your experience. Oh, goodness. Uh, no, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you speak about it, because it's, it's, you're so vehement about, about Ultima 7, and you always have been. It's, it's nice to actually really just go back and forth and, and chat with you about it, because uh, any previous times we've talked about it, first of all, it's not been at length, and second of all, it was more just you talking at me about it, whereas this time I can actually relate and absorb what you're saying and understand it. Um, <laughs> I'm for, still for, kind for of talking my, uh, at you about it, but that, that's why I'm kind of hand, handing you the floor right now. I guess, I guess difference being is that, that I, I'm enjoying it this time for once. <laughs> So. <laughs> Got him. Um, uh, okay, so my experience. Well, I'll, I'll say that that you know, I I, I guess I, I didn't. Re- I've already kind of said that, that I didn't realize that there was kind of an adventure game underneath of this, but it, it helped put like Quest for Glory into perspective for me, being someone that just really never played these kind of games. And and to those listening, you know, obviously you've only really heard me speak about adventure games here on the podcast, but I do like other games, you know, Sim Cities and Prince of Persia's and Wolfenstein, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's not that I, that I only like adventure games. It's just you know, I, like I said in the, in the beginning, there's just been plenty of them. I never really had the need to to play these games and I don't have a reason why it's not based on like snobbery because I don't have experience with them to say I didn't like them I, I just like for example when you sent me um, or not sent me but when we first started talking about Ultima 7 you know months months ago you know I remember googling it while we were talking seeing screenshots and being like oh that's one of those games I don't like um, for for no reason I, I shouldn't have even I'm being honest that is what I thought but it, it wasn't for like a reason I, I just told myself you don't like those games i don't know why so this game it's been kind of groundbreaking for me in the sense that i think i'm getting a lot of like 1992 like quality out of it because it's also it's doing for me now in in 2019 what it did for so many people in 92 where it's like here's a a new genre of game and you might like it and (laughs) And so I really, I really appreciate it for that. I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited to play through it a bit more, and, and furthermore to, to jump into to six a little bit because I definitely would like to go backwards before forwards, um, if you know for nothing else than where the classic 
gamers guild nothing <laughs> um just fitting but um no for me it, it it really just showed me that to not be afraid of of rpgs that there's a lot of adventure game elements in there to not be and- afraid of new things <laughs> yeah exactly or new old things i don't know whatever you call it but <laughs> try something <laughs> once in a while yeah exactly you're not wrong for scolding me uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean um, like it, it's funny enough it's actually not that new i think um uh, i i can't really draw the line because i i actually did miss out a lot of the earlier ultima games i kind of like played five a little bit and even that was a little bit too dated for me I'd like to go back now that I'm a little bit more open-minded, but at the time it was a little bit too much of a step back. Um, so I didn't even go, I didn't bother going any further back than that. Cause you know, it only gets worse from there or not worse, worse, but you know, it only gets older. Um, but you know, uh, Ultima six was very much like, um, just like a, a slightly more primitive version of Ultima seven where it was very story and characters and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it did definitely start at a point where it was mostly just dungeon crawling where it's just sort of like, here's a character, buy your weapons, and there's you know, a bit of a rudimentary story, but, um, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of, like, uh, uh, I, I can't speak for the Ultimate games, but I know, like, with Might and Magic and Wizardry, it was mostly just like, okay, here's a town, buy your gear, and now go out into the dungeon or the, or the uh, wild or the maze and fight stuff until you get to the next town. There's not really a whole lot of story except just, like, progress, forward progress. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, by this point, by the time Ultima 7 came out, there was quite a lot of, uh, RPGs out there that were trying to get more into the storytelling aspect of RPGs because, you know, uh, RPGs aren't really entirely about just the combat when you go, when you trace it back to the pen and paper, uh, tabletop games, it really is about the character. It's really about the character growth and how the char- each character, uh, based on their abilities and based on their personality, approaches each uh, situation. In-, in fact, I would even say probably one of the more boring parts about those uh, tabletop games is the combat because all you're doing is rolling dice to hit stuff. I'm not saying that's not fun, but I'm saying it's just so much more. Uh, it's much more fun just like to play the characters in the scenarios. I think uh, you know that's when. Uh, uh, yeah, that's where Ultima 7 and a lot of these kind of RPGs going to really shine through. And even as you go forward to like Baldur's Gate and from what I understand, very much so with Planescape, where it's just like it, it really is a lot about the character and how you play the character and the character growth. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I really wasn't expecting. And again, I, I don't know. And I, I, I keep bringing this up because I, I keep asking myself, like, what, what did you expect? What did you think these games were? And I, I guess it, to, to really overly simplify it, mostly because I, I really just never have given it much thought. So therefore, my, my thought on it is just kind of basic and simple is I, I always chalked up Ultima 7 and RPGs of this time, let's say, is like as Quest for Glory, but the opposite. Like if Quest for Glory, if you were to say it's 70% adventure and 30% RPG, making that up on the spot, don't hold me to it. It's not, a, it's not about <laughs> the bloody percentages. But but I would kind of think like, okay, well, these games must be, you know, 70% stats and, and fighting and things like that, and then 30% story. And, right. you know, for me, I was like, I'll just, I'll take a pass because I love, I love the Quest for Glory series, but my least favorite part was, was the RPG elements. Right. Um, you know, just, just again, coming from such an adventure sort of background, I felt like it kind of, for me personally, there was like a little bit of an immersion issue 
just because that wasn't my type of thing. Yeah. Again, not well, criticizing. Well, I'll tell you, and I won't go too far into this because we did talk about this being an idea for a future episode. But um, I, I think what generally happens is that the, uh, the the idea of what exactly is an RPG has just become so muddied now. Um, there, there's so many very, very different styles of games that all get thrown into RPG. If you've never played an RPG before... And I say, here, play this. It's an RPG. You have every reason to think, oh, this is going to be Diablo, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah That's I'm- a great way to put it for, for, for the audience, for, for people listening, because I'm obviously just not really not really scratching the surface of what I'm trying to say. But yeah, and then on top of that, kind of like how music's gotten a bit wonky with just ridiculous amounts of subcategories. Uh, you deal with that with RPGs, like mm-hmm. CRPG and JRPG. Um and, you know, for that episode that we will eventually do, I'm really glad that I got to play this first because th- th- that conversation will now be entirely different than it would have been <laughs> had, not, had I played this game. Um, because I'm, I'm literally excited to play more of it. Like, it's it's no longer homework. I'm, I'm now willingly doing it. Uh- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just because we need to wrap this up really quickly here, um, I'm just going to give my last thoughts. It's just about the combat. A lot of people kind of... Um, a lot of people really hate the combat system in this game, and I don't think they're wrong. The combat is pretty clunky now, but I think a lot of it is kind of hindsight, where you look back and be like, oh, that's so primitive. And you're right, it is primitive. But, you know, at the time, it wasn't even all that bad, as far as I remember. I mean, maybe some people did think it was that bad, but I thought, I understood what it was trying to go for, because um, it was basically... You know, you can control your character who you want to attack at any given moment, but your characters, you don't have direct control over them the way you did in previous Ultima games or in like even um, future RPGs, say Baldur's Gate, where you can pause the game, click on this character, and tell them to attack this guy over here. Uh, because in those games, it is about controlling the party. In Ultima games, and this sort of like was kind of a moment that um, struck me when Richard Garriott was telling me about how much he wants you to be playing it as you. So you don't really get to control your party members. And that kind of makes sense now. Cause like you can give, tell them the strategy. You can tell this guy, okay, attack whoever is the strongest. Uh, you attack whoever is the weakest. You attack from afar and you just run away from battle. And that's all you can do. And then you turn on combat and let them figure it out for themselves. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I think I understood what it was going for. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I think a lot of people will argue that it wasn't executed very well. And like I said, I guess they're not entirely wrong about that. But, um, you know, on the plus side, I do really think that this is kind of like the prototype that led into combat systems like found in uh, Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter's Nights and uh, such like that. That's that's really interesting uh, that you say. You know, in hindsight or retrospect, it can you know can seem clunky. Like a lot, a lot of that opinion might might derive from how how people have gotten used to how things are now. Because, for from my perspective, that 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 just that it, it, I thought it was great because that was to me that was battle that, that was a, a fight in in a game because I'm just you know I don't play many modern games I've I played Spider-Man Red Dead 2 and then a bunch of MotoGP games so I really don't play a whole lot of modern games so to me that that was just how you fight in games I, I really in that sense I'm truly stuck in the past um 
So I, I did, it didn't stick out to me as, as clunky or, or anything like that. It, it played exactly how it should have played <laughs> in my mind. It was exactly what I, what I would have expected and, and hoped for at the same time. Um, and as far as I wouldn't have thought about it until you mentioned it, but as far as only controlling your player, um, I think I would much prefer that. I, as I've, I've mentioned to you before, uh, off recordings, I, I don't really like those, those kind of battle games where we set everything up and then everybody just go, goes at it. And to me, that's just very, um, it almost reminds me of like playing like a strategic card game or something where, where you line it all up and, and then, you know, you, you press play and it all just happens. I, I feel much more immersed if, if I'm that character and everybody else is playing to their strengths while I play to mine. So I definitely prefer it that way. Well, I mean, there is elements of that. I mean, like you, you do kind of set up the strategy. Like I said, you do say, okay, you do this, you do that, you do that. But it's not like, it's not like later incarnations of this combat system, like uh, Baldur's Gate, where you can pause, click on somebody, tell them exactly who to attack and then click on this person tell them exactly where to go like you're controlling each character individually uh this one you're kind of like a commander where you sort of say um you you basically just tell everyone what they're expected what's expected of them yes so beforehand like before you even go into combat you're supposed to already have the setup um you dupre you're my uh paladin guy so you go in charge and take out like uh the you know whoever is the biggest foe whoever is the strongest and um shimino um you know go for whoever's uh, uh the weakest i suppose and uh yolo do ranged attacks that sort of thing uh spark i, was, right, I thought right you were just saying battle. yolo out of nowhere sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like you just go attack him yolo i don't know it'll work <laughs> uh yeah uh, or like uh and then you know spark just run away from battle and then as soon as you as soon as something hostile approaches then you just push c and then everyone just does what they're what's expected of them and you can't really tell them you can't directly control them you can't tell them no you're supposed to do this you're supposed to be you're you have to um you know they're just doing what the strategy is as preset. Yeah, I I think I'd be better served if I say it is like I I prefer I prefer that element of AI in that scenario for mm-hmm. sure. Like I that to me actually helps with immersion. I think that there's there's a line when it comes to for me personally when it comes to overly controlling every character in it. Like like you said, and and I didn't kind of misspeak earlier setting everybody up to do their task that I it's not that that I don't like um that's the right amount of control I definitely kind of want actually that that little bit of control to to at least pair mm-hmm. them up with the correct enemy let's say um but I, I don't want to like micromanage throughout you know it's, I, yeah. I do want an, an element of, of AI so that I can still feel like my character during during the fight let's say right uh okay final thoughts from your perspective on Ultima 7 um I I was I was wrong for not for not giving it a chance <laughs> for some reason, I really I took a bloody long look in the mirror and uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know if I like what I saw um, no I I I thank you for for pushing me to get into it I I do actually genuinely regret taking so long to to finally play it and um, I I think it's cool I think it's kind of groundbreaking for me it really honestly is because it's totally changed the way I I look at these types of games so I think it's opened me up to to probably a you know a dozen more games that I'll actually try now because yeah. of this game so it's I feel like I'm talking in 1992 right now um, <laughs> because it's it's given me that kind of same perspective that that I understand a lot of people had when it came out so awesome game if you if you're 
like me where, where you just really stick to to your uh adventure games and and the occasional you know side scroll or whatever give give us a bloody shot there, was, there's nobody like that there's nobody i know like <laughs> <laughs> i almost just said edit that i edit that <laughs> um I, I unfortunately i have some bad news for you though paul um uh, as far as the ultimates go you're you've hit peak it's all downhill from here oh shit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you do get Ultimate Seven Part Two, and that's not bad. That's pretty good. I, I wouldn't. I still like Ultimate Seven Part One better, but Ultimate Seven Part Two is uh, still good. But once again, to eight, then yeah, that's you, you kind of have the best behind you. Ah, full Icarus here. <laughs> this happened to me with adventure games too. The first one I played with Gold Rush, and it never got better. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you brought up Kathy. I had to bring up Gold Rush. <laughs> oh man. So um, yeah, if you have opinions. And I'm sure you do regarding Ultima. Uh, let us know. You can write us at mail at classicgamersguild.com. Uh, you can look for us on Facebook. We're both a page and a group. Uh, find us on Twitter at the CG Guild. Find us on Instagram at CGG Podcast. And uh, do we? Uh, oh yeah, we have a Patreon. If you want to support the show, uh, it would be much appreciated. Uh, money is really not a thing that happens in my life these days. So um, if you want to, if you want to put food on my table and make me not die, <laughs> um, or at least not be cold on the street, um, check us out on Patreon. Uh, <laughs> just look for Classic Gamers Guild and find us there, and give me as much money as you can afford. Oh, that's awesome! You're really, really picking up on that Jewish guilt I taught you about. Well done. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, bloody Merry Merry Christmas and and oh yes, ha- I forgot this is our Christmas episode. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> bloody Jew had to remind you. Speaking of of Jews, <laughs> to my fellow brews out there, uh, Happy Hanukkah, and and you know, save early, save often. Now wait, that's not our thing.